lamp by the, by the bed was on. Gentlemen, may I have just a little more volume on the microphone, please? Thank you. The, the bedside lamp was on, and, and, and I had my back to the lamp, and, and I opened my eyes, and I just kind of turned this way, and I saw Anissa sitting cross-legged on the bed. See, I was laying down. She was up right about here, right about shoulder height, and she had her hands like this. And her head was bowed. Now, there are men who want power. There are men who dream of fancy cars. <laughs> but I say, blessed is he who got a woman who knows how to pray for her man in the midnight hour. And I just turned back around and went to sleep. I didn't want her to see me. I didn't want her to know that I had noticed her, but just the sight of my wife praying for me went down in my bones and it did more healing. Oh, let me calm down. We got ways to go. While I have your attention, for I'll put you to sleep later on, right? I would like to emphasize that this evening, this evening at 5 o'clock, we will have an emphasis on mental health awareness. We will hear from Dr. Barbara Hunley, from a sister by the name of Oria, did I say that right? McGarry. We'll hear from Sister Madden and we'll hear some other things. She said that it was imperative that you know this is not just for women. There's some men out there that need some awareness of mental health. Come on back and learn something this evening. Also, tomorrow, the transportation, I am told, will leave at 9. If you show up at 9, you will be left. We are all going over to fellowship and to exercise and stretch our muscles and fill our lungs over at that beautiful park by Craig. I think it's called Craig Park. Is that what you call it? Craig Ranch Park. Okay. Hope you brought your word with you. We're going to be turning today. In the interest of time, I will read a lot, and then some things I will ask us to read together. This is important because there are some things that I really want us to see in Scripture. I'm going to read from the book of Revelation. And may I have a B-flat, please? Thank you. The 18th chapter in the book of Revelation and verse 1, and it says, And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he, the angel, cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon is fallen. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Verse 4, and I heard another voice from heaven. And this is it right here. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Come out of her, my people. Who's her? He's talking about Babylon. Who's my people? God's people. That's us. The prophet John would imply that God's people are in Babylon. Now, this is not the literal Babylon. This is a spiritual Babylon. John, known as the Revelator, was shown signs of the end. He was shown the things of today. He saw F-16s and F-22s, and, and he saw atomic bombs. And it was such an important message that God had for his people that he sent mighty angels in the form of vision to talk to John. And he said to John, write. And John wrote what he saw. 
And this angel says, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her plagues. I do not wish to alienate anyone. We know that today is Health Awareness Day. We are going to be discussing a thing called the health message. Now, if you are a visitor and you are not familiar with the health message, I would just like to make a statement so that you can understand what we're referring to. We believe that there is a message, a last day's message, and we'll look at it in a second. And part of that message is our duty to take care of ourselves, to watch what we eat, watch what we drink, be the arbiters of our bodies because the way we treat ourselves physically will reflect on how we can discern and hear the Holy Ghost. That's the health message. Now accuse me not. Do not accuse me of confusing the message of health with that of salvation. Accuse me not of saying that there is a way that you can eat broccoli and get to the kingdom. Man, some of the things the Lord done brought us out of, ain't that much broccoli in the universe. No, 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 it is clear that we are saved by grace. Accuse me not, but rather accuse me of saying that in these confusing times, in this age that John calls Babylon, we must watch what we eat, what we drink, how we do, because it affects our ability to discern. We need to return the message to the health. And don't freak out. I'm preaching part of my sermon. I won't have an hour-long sermon after we pray. It's okay. We need to return the message to the health. But I have found that we have made this separation. We're just preaching the health, the health, the health at people, and we're neglecting the message. In the 1500s, during the Renaissance period, a genius by the name of Michelangelo rose to prominence. Michelangelo was a bad boy. When he was 74 years old, while many of us are trying to remember where we put the keys, Michelangelo invented a form of architecture known as mannerism, made it up. Before he was 30 years old, Michelangelo had sculpted the David. You know the David? Which to this day is considered one of the greatest examples of a depiction of the human form. Before he was 30. He also created something known as the Pieta. And this is the sculpture of Mary. Maybe you've seen it. And Mary is holding the body of Jesus right after he died. And he just captured the emotion that, that a mother would feel after seeing her son murdered. Michelangelo was a fine sculptor, and he thought that sculpting was the highest form of art. However, one day, the church asked Michelangelo to do something that he did not like to do. So they had this chapel known as Sistine, the Sistine Chapel, and the ceiling was blank like this. And they said, Michelangelo, I want you to paint some pictures from the Bible on the ceiling of this chapel. And Michelangelo said, no, I don't paint. That's not my thing. I'm a sculptor. See the David and the Pietro? See, that, that was me. That Michelangelo, tell your friends. But he said, no, I want you to paint. Here is a situation where God has called a man to do a thing that he did not want to do. And Michelangelo had to pay the bills. Pastor, that's the church was paying in them days, remember? <laughs> and so we took this job on, and day after day, and hour after hour, Michelangelo was in that church with his ah, ah, painting on the ceiling. On and on and on. And, and the message was, the message was to create something so beautiful that it brought people closer to God. That was the message. 
But Michelangelo had such a negative experience. Well, he hated it. And indeed, because of the hours of craning his neck, trying to paint on the ceiling, he got spurs on his cervical vertebra. And the spurs pinched the nerves. And I don't know if anybody here has ever had a pinched nerve, but that hurts. And the pain radiated down his arms and to his hands, and he could hardly hold the brush. And then his hips developed what's called dysplasia from all this. And his back, he was in agony, working for God. Terrible experience. But God can use us anyhow. And he did complete that work, and people, millions of people, come in all the time, and they see this work of art. But if you look closely, in the middle of the painting, there is God, and he's reaching out like this. Anybody seen that? And there's Adam, and Adam is reaching back. And if you look close, they don't touch. Oh, have mercy. They don't touch. Here the man is supposed to be doing something that brings God and, and humanity closer together, but he had such a bad experience that instead he put a space between God and the people. Oh, sometimes church, when we separate the message from the health, the thing that's supposed to bring us closer to God, instead we've beaten people with the health and we put a space. What a tragedy it would be us working as hard as we can, and instead of bringing people in union with the Father, we are separating them by a space about the width of a veggie burger. It is time to return the message to the health. And life is short. I'm not going to make you wait. Let us have a look right now, shall we? First, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We will look at chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we will look at verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. I'll wait just a little longer. Okay, let's read this together. And it reads, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do do what everybody whatsoever you eat whatever you drink however you comb your hair however you drive to work every day do it all to the glory of God can we agree on that okay good let's look at another text shall we let's go back to Revelation and this time we want to look at chapter 14 Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. And again, for the visitors, we're back at this, at this place where the prophet John is being shown the times of the end. And God has an extremely important message for the people in end times. A message so important, we gave it a name. We called it the three angels message. Remember that? Let us read together. Verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Here we go. Read this. Saying with a loud voice, do what? Fear God. Fear God and do what? Glory. Give glory to him. Why? We can stop right there. Whatsoever ye eat, Drink, whatever, do all to the glory of God, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, glory to God, glory to God. It appears that the health message is part of the three angels message. Somebody here don't like that. So I'm going to go ahead and give my argument. Fear God and give glory to him. Except in your health. Hmm? We need to return the message 
to the health. May I have my B flat, my brother? Mm, let's sing together. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. To be a sanctuary. Pure and holy. Pure and holy. Tried and true. Tried and true. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. I'll be a living. I'll be a living. A sanctuary. Sanctuary. Lord, for you. Lord, for you. Let us pray. Our loving Father, Lord, we ask that you would descend upon this place and bless this message. That you would open our minds and our hearts as we discuss the message of the health. Father, I ask that you would hide Ryan. Nobody wants to see that guy. And that you would speak to us all. And that you would bless us all. And Lord, to that one person that maybe barely made it in this morning and is just dying for an opportunity to rededicate him or herself to you. I ask that you would massage that person's heart so that when we give the call to come back to you, they will come running. We ask these things in thy holy name. Let everybody say amen. Returning the message to the health. When I thought I was going to be a doctor, <laughs> and the Lord was just laughing, I once talked to Dr. Moore. Now, Dr. Moore is the head of, was the head of health in the South Atlantic Conference back on the East Coast. And, and we talked about just how we have gotten so much into the health that we have neglected the message of the health. Now, I was in Tennessee, Nissa and I were in Tennessee, and Jalen was just a little teeny weeny thing. I was in med school out there. And the, the, the teaching hospital of the med school is right down the way from the Adventist church. And the church, I think, Sister Brown, you may, you may know this, that's Hillcrest, right? The Hillcrest church was right there. So many of the patients that would come into the hospital would be Seventh-day Adventists. We're talking about separating the message from the health. And many times I would find Adventists who were dying of vegetarianism. How do you do that? So, so you come in, you know, into the room, and a person is there, and they are recuperating from a stroke or a heart attack or some other malady. And now there are many things that happen that we cannot help, but there are a lot of things that happen that we can. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look, and you can tell this person has allowed his or her health to slide. And you know, the, the, the church folk have a way of walking. You know, we kind of go into the room like this right here. Hello, ma'am. And then they would ask, are, are you an Adventist? And I'd say, oh, well, yes, I am. And I can tell. I can tell by the way you walk. Well, amen. <laughs> and they'd say, man, I have no idea how this happened to me. I mean, I had this stroke and I'm recuperating and no, I've been a vegetarian all my life. I've never had any meat. I don't even know what a cow smells like. Never had no caffeine. I've done this and this and the other. And they're like, you know, I have been faithful in everything that I do. I don't know why I had this stroke. And they're like, let me tell you something else, doctor. And, you know, and I'm like, ooh, man, this thing smells good. I want to bite it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> that we separated the message from the health until we had distilled it into a series of do's and don'ts. And they did the do's and didn't do the don'ts, but neglected to glorify God. Can I tell the truth this morning? 
We need to reconnect the message with the health. And for those of us, well, let me say this first. That's one extreme. And then we observe the other extreme as a result of this health message disconnect. Back in the 1800s, when surgery began to become a mainstay of medical practice, they learned that we were able to go into the human body and fix things in there and make a person better. There was only one problem. Anesthesia had not been invented yet. We can take out your appendix, sir. Ma'am, we can do that C-section, but the bad news is we can't put you out. We can't numb you up. So this is what would happen. And you know how to read about this. This is crazy stuff. They would hire six or seven extremely muscular men, or women, maybe some muscular women up in there, and the patient would come in, and the burly people would hold them down. That's right. And they'd be kicking and screaming and all this stuff while the physicians would operate wide awake. And this was such a scene that usually it drew these great big crowds of people to see this. That's a vivisection. And it was such a horrible experience. People would report remembering the sounds of their bones cracking, you know, and the feeling as the doctor sliced into their muscles. And it was such a bad experience that many people who had a simple procedure, just a simple procedure, would commit suicide. I would rather die than go through that. And many times we do that in a church with the health message. Man, the new people come in and we get six or seven burly deacons and sisters and, and hold them down. You can take this health message. You better take it. And we drive them out. They're like, I'd rather die. Give me my heart attack. I'm going to McDonald's right now. I'm going to get me a double cheeseburger with pickle and onion and, you know, you make it right. And a strawberry shake and some large fries. And I'm going to sit right there on the bench and I'm going to eat my cheeseburger. And don't none of y'all crazy admins come near me. Hmm? separation of the message from the health. And you know, for those of us who are trying so hard to make the health message, to make the health palatable, you might want to sprinkle a little message on there. Because the message, as we shall see, is sweet. Oh, yeah. Let's see what the Bible has to say about it, shall we? Let's run on time here. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Daniel. And those that know me are thinking, of course. <laughs> we're going to the book of Daniel, and we're going to look at the very first verse and the very first chapter. And I'll start reading this first part while we find it. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, who was that? King of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar. Who was that? King of Babylon. And he came unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, the book of Daniel opens up on a very bad day. The book of Daniel opens up talking about when God's people, the church people, were invaded by the world. Babylon, and they came in to Judah and kidnapped God's people. Oh, let's read some. Verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his, Nebuchadnezzar's, hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he, Nebuchadnezzar, carried into the land of Shinar, unto the house of his God, the Babylonian king, this, this non-God-fearing king, came into the house of God's people and defiled the church. 
Now, why in the world would the Lord let that happen? We'll find out later on. It is because the children of Israel had lost sight of the message. But now here we come to the interesting part. Verse 3, and the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. So the Bible's telling us, so Nebuchadnezzar said, now take the best and the brightest from God's people. We're going to kidnap them. Can you imagine being in your kitchen one day and the door just burst open and in come foreign people? They kidnap your kids and take them away? never to be seen again. This is what happened. And among the people who were kidnapped was Daniel. Now, we got Daniel, a church member, and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, or the Hebrew names, and all of these other young church members being taken out of the Pathfinders and Sabbath School and, 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 and ALCA and all these things they were sheltered for, you know, inside of and being taken into the world, which is Babylon. Now let us read this together. Verse 5. And the king, are you with me? All right. And the king appointed them a daily provision of what? Of the king's meat and of what? of the wine which he drank, keep going, so nourishing them three years, why? So that at the end thereof, they might stand before the king. Okay, so the church members have been kidnapped from Judah, and they've been taken into this worldly place where they're doing all kind of stuff, clubbing and doing stuff in the world and all that. And, 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 and the king of the worldly place, Nebuchadnezzar, hmm, says now, Feed them what I eat. Now, when I first encountered this, I just thought that it was the king showing favor to some outstanding young people that he intended to use in his court. But if you look more closely, it says, so that at the end thereof, they might stand before the king talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you study Babylonian culture, you will see you couldn't just stand before the king. You had to look a certain way. You had to dress a certain way. You had to be Babylonian. The purpose was to, oh man, the purpose was to get the church members accustomed to Babylonian culture. I need to turn these church folk into some worldly folk. And I find it interesting, nay, I find it fascinating that the first thing he does to turn God's people into his people is feed them. A very powerful way to be acclimatized to another culture is to eat what they eat. When you go somewhere, right, out of the country or somewhere, they say, come have dinner with us. It is a powerful thing. And the king was assaulting them with unclean foods and unclean meats and all this stuff. I'm making the argument that even today as God's people are in spiritual Babylon, the entire argument about what we should or should not eat is really about how much like them do you want to be? Who's them? Them is everybody that's not Adventist? No, I'll never say such a thing. Them is anybody who is not trying to get it right with God. Whatever you look like. However you walk, whatever kind of car you drive. And so Daniel and his friends do a fascinating thing, don't they? It says in verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, meaning I'm not going to become one of them. Hmm? Nor, as anybody's trying to split hairs, with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he, Daniel, requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. All right? Let's look at 
verse 12. And let's read together. What, what does he request? Prove thy servants. Read with me. Let's start over. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee. How long? And let them give us what? Pulse to eat and what to drink? So Daniel says, no, no, no. Please give us just pulse and water. Now, what's pulse? Pulse is like, what is it? It is a vegetable, a leafy vegetable. Daniel says, give us pulse and give us water. Now, this is what is really something. The Jews ate meat, didn't they? Jews ate fish, hmm? lamb, quail. Hmm? They ate clean meats. And yeah, they had a way in which they prepared it. What do we call that? But Daniel did not go unto the prince of the eunuchs and say, okay, prince of the eunuchs, here's the meat that we can eat. Please get ye this, 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 divide the hoof and the scales and all that right there and prepare it like this. No. For some reason, all Daniel requested was water and vegetables. What's that about? It would appear that when God's people go into Babylon, there's this way that we start treating ourselves in order to avoid the confusion that is Babylonian culture. See, Daniel could have gotten into this argument, okay, look, but does it divide? Look, well, let me see that meat, right? Okay, I can eat that. Where does it say I can't eat? No, I'm gonna be safe. I'm gonna do the most I can. Because that's how you do. Daniel only asked for water, and he only asked for vegetables. And I find that to be extremely interesting. Let's look at the result. Let's see, where are we now? Boy, I'm missing that PowerPoint. Okay. So they gave Daniel the pulse and the water that he requested. And let's look at what happened. Let's read, let's read, oh, let's see, 18, same chapter. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them. And among all, among them all was found none like Daniel, and Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah, Therefore stood they before the king, and check this out, and in all matters of what everybody? Wisdom. Wisdom. And what everybody? Wisdom. Understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them how much more? Ten times more, ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in the realm. Now, what we tend to focus on a lot when it comes to the health message, is the benefit. And there is a benefit. You ain't got to be a Christian to know that. They're touting it all over the place. That when you live healthier, when you avoid meats, it's the truth. When you do certain things, there is a physical benefit. You will look better. You will sit taller. You'll be prettier. That is nice. However, Look at what the other benefit is in all manners of wisdom and understanding. Well, what's wisdom? So I looked at the original translation of the word wisdom here, and it literally means a skill that was given from someone else, the word that they use here. Now, the word of God is clear. If any man lack wisdom, let him do what? Let him ask of me. So the wisdom comes from God. Somehow, the way they ate made them more susceptible to the wisdom that God was trying to give everybody. What about understanding? Well, I looked that one up. I think that word is tonaba, an interesting word. And it literally means the ability to separate 
or to distinguish or to discern. The word of God is saying that the way we eat directly affects the way we can discern and distinguish. And that's important, especially young folk in these, in these times when all this crazy stuff is happening, stuff that's never happened before. Should I drink this? Should I wear this? Can I listen to this? But when we have discernment, we can tell. You need to stay away from that right there because thus saith the Lord. And apparently, according to the Bible, and many of us don't like it, but the Bible is clear that what we eat affects our brains. Somewhere between the table and the toilet, our brains get affected. We like to think we can just eat it and forget it. No, no, no. And cumulatively, this is the word speaking, it affects how we can hear the voice of God. I got two more texts. This time we're still in Daniel. Let's turn to Daniel, the 10th chapter. And now we're in the end of Daniel. Daniel has been in Babylon for a while. And he's an old man. Daniel is old. And he's been faithful to God. And God has chosen this time in Daniel's life to give him a prophetic message. The infamous Daniel prophecies. Now, Daniel is minding his own business. Let's read this. Chapter 10, verse 3. Let's, eat to, let's read together. It says, I ate no pleasant bread, and what? Neither came flesh nor what? Wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now Daniel was in mourning because the Jews, his people, were still being assaulted by the Babylonians. But here's Daniel in mourning, and he's, he's vegetarian. I ate no flesh, the word says. And let's see what happens. Let's jump on down to verse 10. I'll read this. And there's Daniel with his vegetarian diet because he's in mourning. And then look what happens. And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, what? understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright for unto thee am I now sent and when he had spoken this word I stood trembling you see what happened next there's Daniel and he has put himself into this physical state by how he has fed himself and the angel shows up and says now Daniel understand very recently, we had the whole 2012 Mayan craze. You know what I'm talking about? No, the, the Mayan or the Aztec calendar predicted that, and well, they said that it predicted that in 2012, the world was going to end and all this kind of stuff. They made movies about it. Everybody was talking about it. Is the world going to end? And of course, it did not. No man knew the day nor the hour. But the fact is, everybody was watching. And everybody is now fascinated, fascinated with eschatology. They're fascinated. They want to know, what does the end say? What does the Bible say? Well, what do you think? And we see these books being written, and people are making millions off of these books that talk about the time of the end. And somewhere in there are God's people trying to understand. And will we? I don't know. What will we eat? And it's so very simple 
Daniel and his friends didn't do something absolutely crazy. They didn't go like jump off a cliff or, you know, set themselves on fire or something dramatic. It is very simple what we are instructed to do if we are to have the clarity of mind needed to survive in these last days. But because we have often separated the message from the health, we've had this bad experience such that it's almost impossible to do even the simple things. One day, I was on rotations in the ER. That's a bad rotation. That's up all night, up all day, up all night. And the strongest person I have ever seen in my life came into the emergency room. It was a woman. Now, the woman had a great big cut on her face right here, and it was bleeding profusely. But more importantly, she had a, more, she had a much more serious injury. She had gotten into a fight with her boyfriend. Now, domestic violence is, violence is a complicated thing, and I don't even pretend to understand all the nuances, but I know that it is serious. And while she's fighting with her boyfriend, boyfriend pulled out one of these and hit her in the head with it. Now, this is why she's the strongest, the strongest, I was using the strongest woman, no, the strongest person I've ever seen. After he had struck her in the head with the hammer, she proceeded to claw his face off. So there he is, he's in intensive care with no face, re-evaluating his stance on domestic violence. I probably should have thought that through a little bit more. Because she had that look in her eye, but I already had the hammer in my hand, and I had to just tore that brother up. And she's defiant. She don't want nothing to do with no man now. She's in the ER, and she's got this cut, and there is a fracture in her skull. Now, it did not break through. It is what's called a depressed fracture. So it's a circular indentation in her head. And we've shaved off the hair so we can get a look at the indentation. But she's bleeding, and we got to clean the wound. And you know, we're young, and the person in charge was a resident. And it's like, what do we do? Do we do this? Do we do that? Do we x-ray? Do we stop the bleeding? The doctor said, OK. We need to clean that wound and get that wound to stop bleeding first. So you go near the wound, and the lady is screaming in pain. I got so much stuff today. Let's see if I have this here. Ah. And, the, and the doctor pulls out a needle. Now, you got to appreciate, this woman had faced a hammer. And the doctor says, OK, now. I'm just going to inject a little bit of, and man, that woman saw that needle. <laughs> she went, ah! <laughs> Doctor tried to hand it to me. I oh, no. I saw the boyfriend. <laughs> Not me. Get that needle away from me. And I was absolutely, it was amazing that this person who had faced a hammer survived the hammer, and then subdued her attacker, had had such a bad experience that even the little thing, no, I've had enough. I've been abused enough. You are not going to stick me with anything. And then she said the most interesting thing. She goes, can't you just put a Band-Aid on it? But when we separate the message from the health, we do often create this negative environment that is so powerful that by the time we get to the little things, such as, well, you know, you shouldn't drink so much soda. No! I'm done! You've hurt me enough! We need to return the message to the health. Can't just keep beating over the head, people over the head with the health. We must preach the message. All right, last text. Let's see where we are here. Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the 25th chapter.
And I'll read this, Jeremiah chapter 25, and we're on verse 8. And it says, Thus, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, behold, I, this is God speaking, will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, meaning he's going to be doing God's bidding, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and an hissing and perpetual desolations. Now, this is Jeremiah telling the children of Israel what God was going to do before it happened. Jeremiah is talking about what we read about in Daniel, where Nebuchadnezzar would come in and kidnap all the people. It says right there, and take all the families. Jeremiah had prophesied ahead of time that Nebuchadnezzar was going to come in and take all of the church young people out to Babylon. He said it. But this is what I would like us to observe. Now let's turn over to Jeremiah chapter 29. Last scripture. And we're going to look at verse 10. Now Jeremiah has prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in and the Babylonians are going to take over. He prophesied this years before it happened. So the children of Israel knew that one day the Babylonians were coming. They knew. But let's read this together. Verse 10 from chapter 29. For thus saith the Lord, that after how long? 70. After 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will do what? Visit you and perform my what? My good word toward you in causing you to do what? Oh. So not only... Did Jeremiah prophesy that the Babylonians would take the people out into captivity? But he also said, after 70 years, one day, I'm going to return you home. So when Daniel went into captivity, not only were they aware that the Babylonians were coming, but they also knew that one day, they'd go home. So Daniel went into Babylon fully understanding that it was a temporary situation. Because God had said, one day, I'm going to come get you. So Daniel was not living for today. The moment he went into captivity and everybody else was concerned about what the Babylonians are eating and what they're drinking, Daniel and his friends had their mind focused on one day. And you know, that's really the crux of the message. That we are not just eating and drinking and living for today, but we are in preparation for one day. Do you see what I'm saying? See, Satan is trying to get us to lose focus on the promise of one day. Trying to make us think that if we could be finally satisfied and get to eat what we want and drive what we want, we will find spiritual fulfillment. But really all we'll do is lose the focus on one day. Yeah? See, the things of today will bring you down. The things of today will annihilate your hope. The things of today are designed to completely downtrodden you and bring you to tears. You got to have one day in the forefront of your mind. You got to have one day tattooed on your cerebral cortex. Every day I like to get up, and we all do, don't we? And after that, your know, job done. I go to my computer and I turn on CNN. I like to see what has happened in the world, especially on the East Coast, while I was sleeping. Other day, I got up, had my prayer, felt all good, doo-dee-doo, 
went over there to the computer, turned it on, CNN, breaking news. In the Ferguson case. Everybody familiar with the Ferguson situation? Yeah? And I gotta be honest with you, because people can be so ugly, you know, especially with comments and stuff, when you know no one's watching you, people will say the worst stuff. I really had tried to tune the Ferguson thing out. It's like, oh Lord, just let it go away and just let it. But this day they had breaking news. A new video had surfaced. Yeah, I don't know if you heard about this, but a brand new video had surfaced in the Ferguson situation. And these guys are on this video describing this young man, and he was a misguided young man. He was a young man, and the young man is running away, and he's got his hands in the air, and he's getting shot in the back. And they're describing like body parts flying off of him and stuff while the police were shooting him down. And before I knew it, I was thinking about my own son and what it must be like as a parent to have to relive that horror day after day after day. And tears were just flowing down my face. I was crying like a sissy. I had, whew, had to get myself together. Because without paying attention, the things of today had brought me down. I had to search for and locate and hold on to my one-day promise. The promise that one day a king is coming and one day a monarch is coming and there will not be such injustices by the law because it says that the government is on its shoulders. You got to have one day because the things of today will bring you down. And you know what else? Even if we fool ourselves into thinking that we don't need that, if we forget what God has brought us from and we forget how it was to have nothing but the promise of one day, a situation will come along and will remind us of how absolutely futile it is to try to live solely for today. Oh, have mercy, you'll be sitting in the doctor's office. Oh yeah, by yourself and you'll be able to tell when the doctor comes in just by the look on his or her face that the news is not going to be good. Doctor will have a manila envelope under his or her arm and there's death in that envelope. And suddenly all the things of today don't matter. Suddenly the fanciness of the car doesn't matter. The size of the house and how much broccoli would, be, would we be willing to eat at that point? And we project our minds into the future how we got to go home and tell our spouse, honey, I went to the doctor today and the news wasn't good. The doctor says I've been diagnosed with such and such and I ain't got but such and such left to live. But before I die, I got to get treatment so our bank account is going to do such and such. And if you only live for the day, that's the end of the story right there. But if you got one day, you can say, however, honey, <laughs> one day there will be no sickness and there will be no sadness. We won't even have a need for doctors and nurses and physician's assistants and the assistant to the physician's assistant. Doctors and nurses are fine people. Some of my best friends are doctors and nurses. But the truth of the matter is we go to the doctor when our equipment breaks when something on us stops working, we go to them. They are the repair people. They do the best they can, but they cannot heal us. They just put some duct tape on it and try to get us going. But one day, our equipment will not break. One day, our parts will not fail. And we will have no need for doctors and nurses and physicians' assistants because we'll be in the presence of the manufacturer the assembler, the creator, the fabricator, he who made us in his likeness and fashioned us in his image. And when you're in the presence of the manufacturer, there's no need for a hip replacement. There's no need for a knee replacement. There's no need to swap out a kidney because our bodies will be upgraded in the blink of an eye, in the batting of an eyelash for mortality 1.0 to immortality, infinity, 0.0. I'm talking about one day. Family went out of town this summer. And when we got back, the whole church was in mourning. Funerals. Death had reared its ugly head here in our community. And man, I hate death. And I can't stand funerals and I can't stand wakes. 
Oh, Sister Richie, honey, I don't mean to, 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 to open up wounds that are just beginning to close, but just let me encourage you, sister. I can't stand these funerals, and we hate death, but unfortunately, death is a natural product of living on this sinful earth. As long as we exist in this sinful society, we are going to have to deal with death. But just because we got to accept it, church, doesn't mean we got to like it, church. Because the word of God says that although today our loved ones are in the ground and though today we must deal with this thing called death and today we must attend funerals and wakes, it is clear where it says that one day, one day the trump of God shall sound dun, 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 and the dead in Christ will come up out of the earth. They won't even bother to touch the ground. They'll just be like this right here. And that's not all. It goes on to say that those of us who have been faithful and have glorified God in everything that we do, we will cast our canes aside and cast our wheelchairs aside and leave our walkers with them little yellow tennis balls aside and we'll leave behind our oxygen tanks and leave behind those titanium screws that are holding us together and be caught up caught up to meet him in the air. I'm talking about one day. You've got to have one day in the forefront of your mind. One day I'm not going to have to take any more insulin. I ain't going to have to put them strange pharmaceuticals and chemicals in my body ever again. I'm going to eat the way I was intended to eat. And if I'm faithful, one day I'm going to sit at the welcome table and I'm going to drink milk and I'm going to eat honey and my blood sugar won't act funny. This is the promise that God has for us. This is what God intends for us. We have never had our spiritual magnifying glasses focused only on what they're doing in the city. We've never been over concerned with what they're wearing in the city or how they're dancing in the city, or what they're eating in the city. But rather, we've had our eyes on the hills from whence cometh our help. We've had our gazes on the eastern horizon awaiting the blessed day, that one day when Jesus would come to take us home. Mm-hmm. So we ask not, what can I get away with? But rather we ask, what all can I do to be spiritually, physically, psychologically, and emotionally able to discern the voice of God, that of the Holy Spirit, and through the same power, rebuff the assault of the enemy, and not live for today, but be ready for one day. And that's the message in the health right there. There it is. And you have to admit that when you think about the message, it's sweet, isn't it? Yes, it is. But accuse me not of saying that salvation can be attained by eating the right way. No, no. Only through the blood of Jesus. We do everything we can to be as close to Jesus as possible, but only Jesus. Now mm. we prayed earlier. Because there's somebody here. Not good. Somebody here. That is struggling. Temptation, trials, and tribulation. Somebody here 
that is dying for an opportunity to lay it all at Jesus' feet. And the Lord would hold me accountable if I closed this out without giving somebody an opportunity to come down here and rededicate, to come down here and just lay whatever burden you carried in here down at the feet of Jesus. But first, I would like us to think. Pastor Madden was interviewing Dr. Rock the other day, and Dr. Rock said something I'll never forget. He said, never end a sermon without nailing Jesus to the cross. Said, if you don't, you just gave a lecture. But it is only the blood of Jesus that can save. So I want you to think. Think of a man named Jesus. A man who has come to earth to serve as redemption for all of humanity. And as you think of him, think not of humanity, but think of your situation, your thing, the thing you need to let go. And imagine that Christ carried that thing to the cross and he with infinite power, he with infinite numbers of angels at his command. My brother, allowed them to stretch his hands out on that cross. And they put those nails in his hands. And he thought about you. Yes, you. The you that you thought was worthless. The you that you thought was no good for anything. Christ died for you. Yes, he did. And this means that we can have redemption from our sins. But it also means that there is a cross and you can lay your burdens down. That thing that has been bothering you, the child that you want to come home, the finances that are driving you almost to suicide, there's a cross. You can lay it there. But that's not the whole story. Jesus died for us and served as redemption and then and then he kept the Sabbath. Yes, he did. And he lay lifeless in that tomb all Sabbath. But on Sunday, on Sunday, an envoy from the Most High came streaking through the cosmos and stood at the entrance to the tomb, uh, to the tomb and said, Jesus, thou Son of God, thy Father calls you. And Jesus got up. And in one hand was the key to death, and in the other the key to hell. And this means that not only can we be redeemed, but we can have victory. So now, somebody who wants to lay it all at the feet of Jesus, who'll come and stand with us two brothers. Oh, come on, sister. Somebody, come on, my brother. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hey, my sister, you know I love you. Anybody, in a minute, the pastor is going to come and pray. And yes, God can bless you wherever you are, because that is God. But there's something about when we put our faith into action. It does something for us. Who will come and stand with these saints and get some of this prayer? Praise God. He died so that we could be redeemed. And he got up. Thus we can have victory. Anyone, I'll wait as long as it takes. Who will come? Pastor, 
Praise God. As we have heard the words of God today, our brother here preached his heart out. And we are focusing on that one day and our Savior in Jesus Christ that will come again. He says, if I go, I will come 